in the heart of every person, every person, regardless of where they grew up, uh, their religious background, or how much money they make, there is, there exists an expectation and a desire for life beyond this life. For every person all over the globe, no matter who they are, life beyond this life, it's a built-in desire that we all possess. Mark Twain, who was the great American writer of the 19th century, often critical of many Christian beliefs, he wrote this, and I think I've got it up here on the screen. I have never seen what to me seemed an atom of truth that there is a future life. No evidence that I can see out there. And yet, he said, I am strongly inclined to expect one. And he's not alone. Everybody upon this planet has this inclination, senses that there's got to be something beyond what we experience in the here and now. We ourselves look around and we say, we say two things that are connected. First of all, surely this isn't the way things are supposed to be. I mean, just look at the world. This can't be the, the way things were intended to be. And therefore, secondly, there must be a better world coming. And it's easy to see why we long for a better world as we look around at the one we currently occupy. We live in a world of danger. We double lock our doors every night. We watch our children extra closely at the park. We tune into the evening news and we see report after report of violent crime. We live in a world where, as Jesus said, wicked people kill steal, and destroy. Victims are targeted for no other reason than the color of their skin. Unborn babies in our country aren't even safe within their mother's wombs. A world of danger in which we live. So there's got to be a better world. We live in a world of need. Even in this town, in the most prosperous country that has ever existed upon planet Earth, we have people sleeping under bridges and down by the lake, within walking distance of this church building. People with basic needs, shelter, food, clothing, and outside the borders of this embarrassingly wealthy country, oh, it's far worse. While our pantries are packed to the gills with food, while the tables down the hall are filled with our lunchtime feast, People in Somalia and Syria and many other places all over the world are starving. We live in a world that is in desperate need. So there's got to be a better one out there. We live in a world of strained relationships. There is not one person here today, not one, who isn't dealing with at least, at least a little relational tension with someone. If not outright strife or worse, estrangement. There are people here in the house today who have experienced the horrors of divorce. There are children who aren't on speaking terms with their parents or parents who aren't speaking with their children. Their children, siblings who aren't speaking to, to siblings. A world of strained, even broken relationships. That's the world that we live in. So there's got to be a better one. We live in a world of pain Many people gathered this morning are in pain, maybe physical pain. 
And you put on a smile when you came in the door, but you ache all over. You don't feel like being here, but you're here anyway. Or emotional pain. Some of us would never know it, but, but some of you are in deep emotional pain this morning. You're depressed. You're disappointed. You're frustrated. You're grieving some kind of loss in your life. You are hurting. And all of us live in a world of hurt and pain. And so there must be a better world. There has to be life beyond this one. Maybe you're here this morning and you look at this list and you've listened to what I have said so far and you say, well, you know, I've got it pretty good. In fact, I don't really deal with these problems up here the way that you described. I kind of like the world that I live in. Life is going along pretty well. A preacher walked into a bar and I realized that sounds like the setup for a really bad joke, but hang with me. A preacher walked into a bar and he began going up to the gentleman seated there on the stools and he said to each one of them, do you want to go to heaven? And the first one said, yes, I do. And he said, go and stand against that wall. The next one, do you want to go to heaven? Yes, preacher, I really do. Go stand against that wall. He came to the third guy, do you want to go to heaven? And he said, no, sir, I do not. And the preacher said, you've got to be kidding me. Are you serious right now? You don't want to go to heaven someday after this life is over? And he said, yeah, I want to go someday after this life is over, but I thought you were getting up a group to go right now, and I'm not interested right now. Many of us, we don't sense the urgency to live in a better world. We're not excited about the life to come because we've got it pretty good in the here and now, so we're not in a rush for God's better world to come. C.S. Lewis The Christian author in Mere Christianity says this, and he says it more eloquently than I can. Most people, if they had really learned to look into their own hearts, would know that they do want, and they want acutely something that cannot be had in this world. If we look deep enough, we'll find it. There are all sorts of things in this world that offer to give it to you, but they never quite keep their promise, do they? The longings which arise in us when we first fall in love or when we first think of some foreign country or first take up some subject that excites us are longings which no marriage, no travel, no learning can really satisfy. And he says, I am not now speaking of what would be ordinarily called unsuccessful marriages or holidays or learned careers. I am speaking of the best possible ones. There was something that we grasped at In that first moment of longing, which just fades away in the reality. I think everyone knows what I mean. Do you know what he means? The wife may be a good wife. The hotels and the scenery may have been excellent. Chemistry may be a very interesting job. But listen to this. Something has evaded us. Something has just slipped out of our grasp. We know deep within our gut that we long for something that cannot be satisfied by this world and in this world. And even those who enjoy great wealth and success in this world know that something is missing. And they may know something's missing even more acutely than those who suffer. Because they have tried it all. And they've seen all that the world has to offer. And they have found it wanting. Tom Brady, the wildly successful quarterback of the New England Patriots, I've mentioned this before, was interviewed by CBS News back in 2005. And much of the piece 
is spent talking about how prosperous and popular and famous Brady had become, and he remains to this day. But then the interview takes a a really unexpected turn. The interviewer, Steve Croft, says in the piece, with all Brady's fame and career accomplishments, we were surprised to hear this from him. Here's Tom Brady. Why do I have three Super Bowl rings? He's got more now. And still think there's something greater out there for me. I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey man, this is what it is. I reached my goal, my dream, my life. Me, I think, God, it's got to be more than this. I mean, this isn't, this can't be what it's all cracked up to be. And Steve Croft says to Brady, what's the answer? And Tom Brady says, I wish I knew. I wish I knew. Now, we would look at Tom Brady's life, and we would say, even as Christians, that guy's got it all. I wish I had his life. But did you hear what he had to say when pressed? As he was in a moment of reflection, thinking about all the stuff and opportunity that he has, he said, there's something missing. Something has evaded me. Something is is just quite... A little bit out of grasp. Something is missing that can't be satisfied in this world. C.S. Lewis would say to Tom Brady, and he would say to all of us, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, listen to what he says, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. The Bible tells us that our desire, this built-in inclination that we have for a better world, it comes from God. It was placed there by God Himself. Listen to the wise writer from Ecclesiastes, chapter 3, verse 11. He, God, has put eternity into man's heart. That's how it got there in the first place. That is why we long for life beyond this life, life forever, because God put it there. And I don't believe God would place a desire like that within me, within you, within us, if God wasn't planning to fulfill it. Listen to what the psalmist says. Psalm 37, verse 4. Take delight in the Lord, and if you do, He will give you the desires of your heart. And what greater desire is there than this desire that we've been talking about? The longing for that which only heaven can provide. The ancient biblical figures were confident that God would fulfill the longing that He placed within them for a better world, for a better country. I want to go now to our text this morning in Hebrews chapter 11. You're welcome to turn there with me. Hebrews 11, I'm going to start in verse 13 and read along for a few verses. The Hebrews writer said, These all died in faith. Who's he talking about? Well, he's talking about Abel and Enoch and Noah And Abraham and Sarah, these great Old Testament figures of faith, the Hebrews writer says, they died in faith, not having received the things promised, still waiting on them, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. They recognized that. They recognized that what God had fully promised was still off in the distance. And that they were just strangers and exiles in this world. They were just passing through. They got this and and they died having that faith. 
Verse 14, people who speak thus make it clear that they're seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. If they wanted an earthly land, they could have gone back to where they came from. But that's not what they were seeking. That's not what they knew by faith was out there beyond the horizon. Listen to what he says in verse 16. As it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. A heavenly one. They longed, these great figures of the faith, they longed for that better country out there, and they knew God would bring it about. And the best part of this passage is that God doesn't let them down. Their faith is not in vain. Listen to what the Hebrews writer says, the latter part of verse 16. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared for them a city, another world, a better country beyond the one in which we currently abide. And the big question is, and we need not delay answering it any further, the question ought to be on your mind and in your heart is how will we We've looked at these figures who lived in faith thousands of years ago, but what about us? How will we be able to dwell in this city, in the city of God that he has prepared? How will we be able to get there someday? Well, in the New Testament, Jesus reveals that the better world will now be open to those who have placed their faith in him. He says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. Who's you? His followers, his disciples. That's John chapter 14. And in verse 6 of that chapter, Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. You know, a lot of times Christianity is charged with being a little too exclusive. You Christians are just too exclusive in the way that you talk about God and how somebody can share a relationship with God. It's not our intention to be exclusive. It's our intention to follow the words of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who himself used this language. We are not making this up. We're repeating what Jesus said about himself. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. And so we dare not veer from what the Lord Jesus himself said about how we can share a relationship with God now and forever. It is through Jesus and through Jesus alone. That's how we can make it to the better city. That's how we can dwell in the better country that God has prepared for all those who follow Him. This better world, coming at the return of Christ, this better world where we will live in our resurrected and glorified bodies, it will make right everything that's wrong with this one. Everything that you look around at this world and you say, man, this can't be the way it's supposed to be. This world is so messed up. There's got to be something better. There is, and it will fix everything that's broken about this one. This may be a world of danger, but the world to come is one of perfect protection. In the book of Revelation, we get a symbolic picture of what this life, what this world will be like. And in highly symbolic language, John describes the city with a high wall and a solid foundation. Now, is it actually going to have that? Maybe not. But the point is, it's going to be a place where God's people are fully protected and they need not fear because there is no danger anymore. So safe are the people inside the gates of this city that the gates are always open 
That is the image that we find in Revelation 21, 25. No more locking the doors at night. No more closing up the city gates. They're open. God will protect His people. All danger has passed away. And there will be no need for fear. It will be a world of perfect provisions. This is a world of need in the world to come. God will provide for every need. In heaven, God is the source of light. The river of life flows full and free. It's so prosperous that the streets, they say, are paved with gold. The tree of life produces a bounty of fruit, not just in its season, but in Revelation we find all year round. It's producing all kinds of different fruit. Every need will be supplied in the world to come. No one will live in want. Now that's a world I want to live in. What about you? In the world to come, we will experience perfect fellowship. We will dwell there with all the redeemed, with those written in the, the Lamb's book of life, Revelation 21, 27. And this, of course, will include those who have gone before us, our dearly departed loved ones in the faith. I think about being down in Panama, the country, on a mission trip. An older couple was baptized. They had been married 42 years. And they came to a new converts class, and it was evident how much they loved one another. And they began reflecting on their time together and their faith, and they said one of the greatest worries in their life is that when one of them would die, they would never see them again. That the end of this life would be the end of their relationship, their knowledge of one another. And since they had been baptized, the great hope that it gave them is that they would never have to say goodbye. That they would get to see one another someday in the new heaven and earth because they had given their lives to the Lord. In the world to come, we will dwell in perfect fellowship and harmony with one another. No more strains in our relationships. No more broken promises. Perfect fellowship. And in the world to come, we will experience perfect joy. No more tears, John says. No more mourning, No pain, there will be no death, like we talked about last week. And no evil or wickedness, all these former things will have passed away. All will be peace and joy. That is the world that's coming. That's the world that I want to be a part of. It's the world that fixes everything that's wrong with this one. It's the world that rights all the wrongs that we experience here. Is it a world you want to experience at the return of Christ? You know, the best thing of all about this world, about heaven, is that God will be there. Do we long to be in God's presence? You know, it's not that we receive all these blessings that I just mentioned, and God, you know, plus God on the side, where God is like gravy on top, or like the cherry, or or like the icing on the cake. No, we experience all these blessings because of God. They flow from the fact that God is present in that place. And heaven without God ceases to be heaven. So what we desired all along, this great desire that nothing on earth can satisfy, what we desired all along is not really a place, per se. It's not really heaven, per se. It is to be in the very presence of God who makes all things new. We More than anything else, whether we know it or not, and everybody all over the face of the earth, what we desire most 
is to dwell in the presence of God and to share a relationship with Him. And we will do so in a perfect, full way in the life to come. And have in the new heaven and earth, that better world that we await. Heaven will be the ultimate fulfillment to all our longings, not because of the blessings that I just mentioned, but because God will be there. We will dwell in the glorious presence of God. God will be there. And the question is, will you be there? Will you be? In January 1988, Dr. James... Dobson, founder of Focus on the Family, he invited Pistol Pete Maravich out to California to be on his broadcast. Pistol Pete was, even at that time, known as one of the greatest basketball players who ever lived. He had just retired from the game from the Utah Jazz, but he had also just found Jesus. And his newfound faith had dramatically changed his lifestyle. So Dobson and the other producers, when he got out there, thought it would be fun if Dobson and Maravich went out on the basketball court to play some hoops and talk about faith. And they were out there standing at the three-point line when all of a sudden, Pistol Pete Maravich fell over backwards. And Dobson ran over to him and picked him up and he called for paramedics. But it was too late. Pistol Pete died in Dr. Dobson's arms from a massive, heart attack. Now, as you can imagine, this had a great impact on Dr. Dobson and his family. And his family began to talk about how truly you'd never know how many days you have left on this earth. And they decided as a family that what was most important for them is that they all get to heaven together. That they all, all of them, spend eternity with God. And they came up with a shorthand way of telling one another, I want you to be in heaven with me. They would hold up a thumbs up, and they would say, be there. Be there. Is what I want to say to you this morning. To all of you. To each of you. Be there. How about you hold up a thumb? And how about you turn to your neighbor and say, be there. Be there. Why don't you say it like you mean it? I can't even hear you. Be there. Be there. What is the goal of this church if not to get everybody to the next world? To spend eternity in heaven with God. If that is not our number one goal, if it is not to bring people into a relationship with God that will last forever, then we have woefully lost our way. That is what we're all about. I want you to be there. I want every, I don't know how many people there are in the house this morning. We've got a great crowd. But I want all 400, 500 of you, wouldn't it be grand if we were all there together? Be there. In the book of Revelation, we're told that those who will be able to enter that city, that better country, that new world, are those who have washed their robes. More symbolic language. You know what it means? Those who have been baptized into the blood of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins and who have devoted their lives to the Lord's service. That's what it means. Those who've washed their robes. Those who seek every day to 
who follow after their God whose grace has saved them. Are you that person? Have you washed your robes? Maybe you haven't been baptized into Christ. I want you to be there. And therefore, I want you to come this morning and make that most important decision to be made one with Jesus Christ so that you'll be there. Are you doing your very best to live your life according to God's will? Or do you recognize that your life has drifted away from the kind of life God has called you to live? You have a chance this morning to come and make things right. To make a course correction. To say, you know what? I haven't been living my life in the way God desires. I haven't been fully devoted to Him, but it's time to change. Because you know what? I want to be there. I want you to be there. If you need to come and respond to God's great love and His offer of salvation, it awaits. Would you do that as we stand and sing?